The Birth Circle podcast features experts in all the nuanced areas of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum with the aim of helping women make the choices that will keep them safe, healthy, and empowered. We respect all birth choices and believe in supporting informed consent and evidence-based practices. Nothing said on this podcast should be taken as medical advice. You should always seek the advice of a competent professional for your care. Welcome to the Birth Circle podcast. with Birth Circle and I am so excited about today's episode because I have been wanting to nerd out on prenatal nutrition and vitamins forever and I've gotten to talk to nutritionists but today we actually get to talk to Julie Sawaya, sorry, Sawaya and she is the founder of Needed which is a company that provides nutritional supplements and health education for pregnant women based on in-depth research into prenatal and postnatal nutrition requirements. She's been featured in Vogue, Forbes, Motherly, and Mother Mag for her work in bringing optimal nutrition to expectant mothers everywhere. And thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. I want to dive right into the nerdy. So if you're not into nerdy, maybe this isn't your episode. Just kidding. Stay with us. This is going to be so good. I got some really juicy questions. Um, okay. Because this is, you are actually manufacture these vitamins. So you have to have some serious science behind deciding what goes into these little magic pills, right? We do. Yes. And that's pretty atypical. So most prenatal, I guess, spoiler alert, most prenatal vitamins are what's known as white labeled. So they basically are formulations that are ready to go off the shelf and a brand, when they decide they want to come out with a new product, they basically pick from what's available, put a brand on it, um, you know, come up with their own packaging and then they launch it the next month. Mm. We have taken a very different approach. Our prenatal multivitamin was formulated over a three-year super in-depth research process in connection with a group of perinatal nutrition experts to literally go individual nutrient by nutrient, understanding the clinical research and supplementing that research with in-practice experience because there is, there's a lot of research on prenatal nutrition and there are an equal number of research gaps. Um, yeah. areas that are understudied or where there is a lack of consen consensus around what women need. And so we really took the approach from the beginning of partnering with perinatal health practitioners who are regularly testing women's nutrient and hormone levels at every stage of the perinatal journey to better understand what do women actually need to thrive, not just to meet bare minimum needs. Yeah. Perfect. So what, what got you started in this? I mean, did you wake up one day as a fourth grader and decide that you were going to change the world of nutrition? How did you get started? <laughs> yeah. So I actually grew up in a family of medical doctors and nurses who um, have amazing expertise, but nutrition is typically not one of their skill sets. Um, in the case of most of my family members who are doctors, they receive one to two, if that, hours of nutrition training in their entire medical careers, which is, um, which in some ways is by design because the system was designed for nutritionists to work hand in hand with medical doctors, but that often doesn't happen. No, um, I don't. I, yeah, never. Right. And especially during the perinatal life stage. So really I've had a lifelong passion for nutrition that I think stemmed from my dad's diagnosis when I was five with diabetes, type two diabetes. And, um, 
you know, despite him being a doctor, he was the least healthy person in my family. And that just didn't add up to me, even from Mm -hmm. a super young age. Um, And I've always loved science. I've always loved health. I chose not to pursue, uh, you know, the path to medical school, but it's always been a passion of mine. And so essentially uh, about five years ago, um, actually going on six years ago now, I was heading off to business school, um, knowing that I wanted to start my own company and knowing that I wanted it to be in the health space and ideally to impact women's health. And I connected with my co-founder, Ryan, who is in so many ways a kindred spirit to me. Both of us are lifelong nutrition nerds. We've each pursued nutrition training, but never worked in the profession in a clinical setting. Um, and, And really we connected over our own kind of process of understanding our nutritional needs. At the time we were both in the preconception phase, not yet ready to start a family, but knowing that it was on the horizon for us. And we were seeing a lot of our friends going through pregnancy and fertility and having more difficult processes, you know, maybe an extended fertility journey or, you know, having like extreme nausea or mm-hmm. gestational diabetes or preeclampsia. And, we were just shocked in hearing their stories that nutrition was so lacking from that conversation. It was, it was often a last resort conversation, not the first line of defense. And that just didn't add up with our training and our understanding of how important nutrition is. And so that really led us down a, a, a rabbit hole of understanding needs in this life stage better. And we were really shocked to discover that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin during pregnancy, and yet 95% have nutritional deficiencies. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of us come into pregnancy thinking a prenatal vitamin is there to fill in all the gaps. And if you take a prenatal, your needs are met. And unfortunately, that's not the case because- Is it because of lower quality of ingredients? It's because the vast majority of prenatal vitamins are designed around bare minimum needs a concept known as RDAs, basically a daily recommended intake set by the government around how do you avoid a disease? So take, for example, vitamin C and scurvy. What's the minimum amount of vitamin C you need to consume a day to avoid a serious life-threatening deficiency like scurvy? That's what an RDA is. It's basically, if if you were relying solely on this vitamin basically to stay alive, you know, what is the minimum amount you would need? And that's a very vastly different amount than what you need to optimally thrive. Vitamin C, just to continue on with that example, is critical for so much immunity, for skin stretching, for postpartum tissue repair. And the amount that women need to be optimally set up is an order of magnitude larger than what the RDA is. And in many cases, prenatals don't even include the full RDA. Mm-hmm. So taking a, a pretty in-depth look at, you know, under the hood of what's in most prenatals versus what do women actually need, we realized there was a huge opportunity to essentially redesign the prenatal vitamin from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And as mentioned, that was not a quick process. It was, it was a very lengthy process of going nutrient by nutrient partnering with a collective very early on of women's health practitioners who day in and day out are are serving women in this life stage and actually 
testing nutrient levels to better understand, you know, what is that optimal range? Because yeah, that, that, in many cases, that RDA level is not going to do very much for you. And that's why you're saying that you can take a prenatal, but still be low in a certain vitamin because that is not bringing you to the optimal level. So you're working with yes. people that are helping you understand what those optimal levels and what the gap is. So you can fill that gap. Exactly. And so, it's, it's both a question of what is the dosing of the nutrient and also uh-huh. what is the form of the nutrient that your there body you can best use. Yeah. And, and in many cases, the vast majority of prenatals, both of those are suboptimal. Uh, sad. So what are you finding, you use the vitamin C as an example, but what are you generally finding are the most commonly, um, de- commonly deficient vitamins that are actually really key and really important? Yeah, so there are many. We have, our prenatal vitamin has 24 vitamins and minerals in it. And outside of our prenatal multi, we offer individual nutrients like iron and vitamin D that oftentimes women need more of, but some women need less of. So there yeah, is- You don't some, want it just a one size fits all of iron for sure. Exactly. There is some individualization um, mm-hmm. and also some variation by stage of pregnancy or postpartum that you're in. But in terms of kind of baseline nutrient needs, we find through the clinical research, and it's also validated through in-practice experience from our practitioner group, that the vast majority of women are pretty critically deficient in nutrients, including vitamin D, choline, which is very important for baby's brain development, and really in many ways equally as important as folate, which you, you know, more commonly hear of, um, nutrients, including, um, omega-3 is a really critical one with, we actually did a, a, a pilot study testing the, the omega-3 levels of 250 women in the wellness space. So these are nutritionists or health coaches or women who were attending. This is back in 2019 when you could attend events in person, um, women who are attending health focused events. So, you know, very nutritionally minded women. We found that 96% of women were deficient and about 90% were, were critically deficient, meaning they didn't have enough omega-3 to support a healthy pregnancy if they were to get pregnant at that point in time. And that pretty closely tracks with the, with the clinical research, um, out there. So there are a few nutrients like that, where there, there is an almost guarantee that you are going to be deficient and that, you know, what is, um, what is in most prenatal vitamins. So the example of choline, choline is a very bulky nutrient. It takes up a lot of molecular space. And even though it is really important, and actually this is kind of an interesting one because the RDA for choline was set about 20 years ago. It's been recognized as being super important for many years, but most prenatal vitamins aren't including any choline or they're including about one-tenth of the RDA because of how much space it takes up. And the assumption is really that women won't be willing to take more than one or two pills a day because it's difficult and we get that during pregnancy it can be hard to take more pills per day or you know in our case we also offer a powder option um, that works really well for some women but you know maybe during first trimester nausea you're you're finding it more difficult to consume a smoothie Um, but we think it's really important in either case to 
educate women on here's what would be optimal. Mm-hmm. We understand that not at every stage of pregnancy are you able to consume on a daily basis what's optimal, but unfortunately, most prenatal vitamin manufacturers aren't even telling you that information. They're, they're just omitting it. Entirely. Well, they don't know. You're saying if they're white labeling stuff, then they don't really know either. They can know what's in it, but they, they don't necessarily do know the why. research yeah. and, and product formulation work to get more of the critical nutrients you need into the pills, you know, and, and, yeah. and ultimately this fall, we have a, an essentials version of our prenatal coming out that we're super excited about. It's a three capsule option um, because truthfully, that's the minimum amount that you need to get in any sort of reasonable dosages of the bulkier nutrients like choline or magnesium or calcium. Um, and so, you know, as a simple rule, if you're looking at your prenatal and wondering, is this, you know, is this prenatal that I've chosen cutting it? Does it have more than bare minimum nutrients in it? It's a pretty good rule of thumb to say, okay, if the dosage per day is one or two pills or a handful of gummies, you can be pretty confident that there are going to be nutrient gaps. And it, it doesn't mean you need to totally throw out your prenatal or that you've done something wrong. It's, it's more so just it's really good to be aware of what it includes and what it might be lacking mm-hmm. in so that you can supplement or be extra mindful through your diet of yeah. making sure you're consuming adequate amounts. There's just a physical amount that you have to take. So you're saying if your pill is small and you only have to take it one a day, there's a good chance it doesn't have everything you need because physically, exactly. like I know calcium and magnesium take up a lot of space. They do. In the pill. And choline as well. And choline. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So why do we have to do this? Our grandmas didn't take supplements, did they? I mean, why, why do we have to, I'm leading you, but why? why? Yeah, no, it's such a great question. And I think it's, it's several fold. So primarily, and probably most importantly, you know, I think we very much as a company focus on nature and looking to nature for inspiration. And I think it's a really great question of, you know, birth and pregnancy, it's all a natural process. So why would we need to intervene with this you know, supplementation? Why is supplementation now critical when it wasn't previously? And one of the primary reasons is that our, our food system and our actual health of our soil in the ground is not what it used to be. Our, you know, the industrial food system, at least here in the U.S., really has caused a lot of depletion of, of the soil. Um, it's lacking in the minerals and vitamins that it used to contain. And our food also takes much longer to reach us. So when you're purchasing you know, in the case we've talked about vitamin C, in the case of vitamin C, when you're purchasing a fruit or maybe tomatoes that naturally are really rich in vitamin C, by the time they actually reach you in the grocery store, much of that nutrient content has degraded. Um, And so even if you consume a quote unquote perfectly balanced diet and you're doing a lot of the right things like shopping locally and going to the farmer's market, and you know, knowing your, um, if you're consuming animal products, knowing the kind of producer behind it, you can still have critical deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And that was true for me. It was true for my co-founder. Um, we were both vastly deficient yeah. in some of those critical nutrients. And it truthfully came as a big surprise. 
Yeah, because you then, think you're doing well. And then, well, our grandparents exactly. didn't eat a varied diet. I mean, my grandma was 80 something before she ever had her first mango and discovered she was allergic. And, you know, you think like in the old days, they they would only eat, you know, the app, they would binge on apples in September. They would binge on carrots all October. Like they only yeah. had seasonal vegetables and very little variety. And yet they were more nutritionally sound than we are. Or were they just critically um, critically lacking back then too? And we just now have the ability to, fill in the gaps? It's a combination. So I think, you know, if you go back probably a little bit longer in history and, in, you know, in, and focus on cultures or geographies where people were growing more of their own food and consuming more farm to table, you know, m- more of, there was very likely to be more nutrient. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So we got to go back to evolutionary, like where we came from, not just exactly. a couple generations ago. But if we was- focus on, you know, the 1950s or the advent of more convenience foods, yeah, I would, I would suggest that the other component of why a prenatal is so important now is because we do understand more about, you know, the role of nutrition in preventing complications of pregnancy or optimizing pregnancy. And, you know, although it is theoretically possible to get all of your needs met through your diet in practice it is extremely challenging yeah almost pretty much impossible okay so you mentioned choline and calcium magnesium as you know very and very important but could you go into some specific deficiencies that cause potentially specific complications and this isn't guilt but this is just a reality check instead of just saying eat good and exercise like what are some of the specific complications that you can experience from certain? Sure. So some of the strongest research around um, prenatal nutritional needs focuses on several nutrients. So I'll, I'll first speak to a nutrient, um, omega-3. And there is really great research around the role of omega-3 in baby's brain development, as well as in adequate levels of omega-3 as a means of preventing preterm labor, which is one of the major complications and a major, um, really a health um, concern for both mom and baby. So omega-3 is a nutrient that is really abundant in foods like salmon and wild-caught um, wild caught fish, primarily. You can also obtain omega-3 through plant-based forms, but the form that is found in plants like chia seeds or nuts or flax seeds is less bioavailable or usable by the body. So the best form um, through food that you can consume omega-3 from is through fish. And obviously during pregnancy, many women have an aversion to fish. Um, There's also a lot of concern, I think, raised around fish consumption during pregnancy. um, And that is primarily around fish that is higher in heavy metals. So for, for those two reasons, aversions and concerns around heavy metals, many women aren't consuming the recommended amount of omega-3 through their diet during pregnancy. Um, so we actually recommend sourcing omega-3 in supplementation form and through algae, which is actually where fish bioaccumulate or kind of concentrate mm. their omega-3 from. So going directly to the algae is uh, a way to deliver omega-3 in a vegan and highly sustainable form. And it's also um, lower in heavy metals. So there's less of a risk of concentrating those heavy metals through supplements. So 
Omega-3 is a nutrient we find um, it's critical that you, you know, consume it during pregnancy. It's especially important later in pregnancy in the third trimester, because that's the trimester where baby's brain is really developing significantly. So like um, the mom, the mom, stupid, the pregnancy fog, could that be exactly with it can impact maternal mood? It can impact Ooh, um, cognition for mom. So it's, it's a great nutrient. I, I really, and I think this is true of all nu- nutrition. We really advocate for looking at getting your nutrient levels in an optimal place before pregnancy. So that during that first trimester, when you do have stronger food aversions or maybe, you know, more serious nausea, and it's more difficult to consume supplementation or foods, you are starting out already replete in those mm-hmm. nutrients so that your body can draw on those stores as you need them. So Omega-3 is a great one to take when you're trying to conceive. It can also support egg health and sperm health as well. Um, But that's a really great one to be mindful of. Um, Other nutrients that are really important that have great research around them. We talked about choline for um, baby's brain development, for actually neural tube formation as well. And the nutrient that it often is um, compared to is folate. So folate is vitamin B9. You often hear it described as folic acid, which is the synthetic or man-made form of vitamin B9. Mm. Um, There is great research around adequate maternal folate status and prevention of neural tube defects. That's like spina bifida. Exactly. And that is why if you do hear recommendations from your OB or care provider around prenatal nutrition, often the number one recommendation is to take folic acid. And we would suggest you do, you follow that advice with a caveat. So folic acid, the synthetic form, um, it was the form that was found in prenatal vitamins pretty much exclusively until roughly 10 years ago. More recent research has focused on some potential downsides of folic acid, including for those who have the MTHFR genetic variation. And what the MTHFR genetic variation essentially implies is uh, that those who who contain it, which is up to 40 to 60% of women, have a more difficult time converting synthetic nutrient forms like folic acid or the synthetic form of um, B12 cyanocobalamin into the more usable forms. Mm. Um, It requires, it it essentially is far more challenging for women who have MTHFR to use folic acid. And as a result, that folic acid can remain unmetabolized. Oh, there you go. That was my next question. Then what's the bad thing about not being able to metabolize is that it builds up in your body? Exactly. And there is research pointing to potential adverse complications of unmetabolized folic acid in the body. And I think probably even more critically, we really want to make sure that you have adequate folate status. And so if you're not able to absorb or utilize the folic acid, you may be at risk of uh, folate deficiency, even though you're taking the right mm-hmm. amount in your supplement. Where is so this? Really- where's, where is a natural vitamin B9 found? Yeah, so folate-rich foods include spinach, include legumes. Um, those are really rich forms. What what is interesting is that the, so the form of folate that we recommend and where 
a lot of research is um, pointing to really great outcomes is with the form methylfolate. And methylfolate comprises about 96% of the folate that circulates in your body. So it is found in nature. Um, methylfolate, unlike folic acid, tends to be readily used by the body. It's already in that active form that your body can immediately use. Um, and, you know, it has been clinically studied in terms of how does it impact maternal or, you know, overall adult folate status. And it has been shown to be at least as effective as folic acid at raising serum folate status. And again, that is the mechanism, what your folate status is. That's the mechanism underpinning the prevention of neural tube defects. I will say that there is a bit of a controversy in the prenatal nutrition world around the question of whether methylfolate is an acceptable form of folate to prevent neural tube defects. And that is primarily because the clinical research from you know, the last 20 something years looking at neural tube defects was all done on folic acid, the synthetic and cheaper form, because mm -hmm. that's what was available. That makes sense. And there is, there is a lot of headwind against updating that research in part because food manufacturers, supplement manufacturers that use folic acid, it's, it's, it's more than 10 times cheaper than the methylfolate form that we utilize. It's more difficult therefore to, you know, include it in cereals that yeah. they're a good source of folic acid um, or any other foods that are fortified with folic acid. So oh there my are gosh. Okay, so now I see a lot of resistance to updating yeah, that research. So that's a problem because if you're just, it's basically the same thing about putting um, fluor, fluor, uh, fluoride in water that you end up over medicating people and you can cause problems. And so if you're putting folic acid just in all cereals and those with the MTHFR variation that can actually build yeah. up to bad levels in their body. So, so most people, the clinical research shows most adults have excess unmetabolized folic acid in their blood. Um, whether or not they're taking supplementation because it's fortified in a lot of our food. Of and food. it's really mm -hmm. a question of degree. We, we advocate for um, reducing that excess when you can, and especially in a time period like pregnancy where you really want to be ensuring that you're absorbing that folate. And so we feel very confident, our, our practitioner collective feels very confident from their in-practice experience and from the research around methylfolate raising serum folate status, that methylfolate is a very good choice in terms of what so form of B9 yeah. you're taking during pregnancy. But I do like to share all the information around it in case yeah, yeah, I know. It's good those know. out there are, are, are wondering or, you know, come to their doctor and mention folic acid or folate. Um, you may hear some resistance to methylfolate, but that is primarily because the research around neural tube, tube defects was simply done on folic acid. Yeah. And there are many, many headwinds to updating that research. So what is the role of folate in, a, in an adult body? I mean, it sounds like we could be pretty, uh, pretty low in it and it'd be okay, but it's when we try and make a baby and we want their spine to be enclosed in their back <laughs> that yeah, we worry so about it. I mean, not to simplify folate, it to like every, terms, but. Like every nutrient, folate is, is important to many different processes in the body. Um, it's, you know, it is important overall for our, brain health as well. Mm -hmm. um, the 
the deficiency kind of concern tends to be around pregnancy because of that, you know, the risk of an extreme deficiency can cause, you know, significant, um, yeah, that makes sense. She's in baby, but for, for yeah. adults, folate can support immune support, um, heart health mood. Um, it's a key component of several neurotransmitters. So Im impacting your mood and really how you feel day to day. Um, yeah. and it's also a key component of detoxification as well. Oh, and then a baby, it's primarily that neural tube development, uh, formation of the midline, um, including the mouth or, you know, kind of, um, the palate, so like, uh, cleft palate could be a folate problem. There is research around, um, both tongue ties and cleft palates and folate status. Um, yes. Yeah. Cause I, I'm, I'm close to lots of breastfeeding specialists and they're like, why are we having so many tongue ties? Why, you know, our grandmothers couldn't have possibly have experienced this many babies with tongue ties. And they're saying it's because it's a, the MTHFR and it's a folic acid problem. And you're giving so a lot more breadth and depth to that There's a potential concern around that question. And the research is, I would call it emerging, um, not mm -hmm. conclusive, but there yeah. is, there's research supporting that both underdoing it and overdoing it could potentially cause. Um, well, you mean more isn't better? <laughs> more is not always better. No, and in the case of folate, we actually, relative to other prenatal vitamin companies that are using methylfolate, we use a pretty conservative amount for the concern, pri the primary concern we have or that our practitioner community has is that um, excessively high methylfolate can impact maternal mood. The good news is if you do notice a mood impact when you take methylfolate, it, it's typically easy to recognize and taking a lower dosage can correct that very quickly. But we, we dose at probably like 75, you know, maybe 50% of the dosage of some other companies because I think, you know, when, when there was be in that sweet spot where it makes a difference, but it doesn't exactly. go over. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is one where, you know, unfortunately the, the research around optimal dosage is not precise. We, you know, we heavily relied on our, on the in, in practice clinical experience of, of hundreds of perinatal practitioners yeah. to set our dosage because, um, there is no precise recommendation or I guess precise optimal amount. Um, there is a recommendation in RDA for folate, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it's an ever-evolving science and um, precision can be difficult. And mm -hmm. I think research always has limitations and that's why we always start with the research, but think it's so important to supplement that with real insights from practitioners who are treating perinatal women. Awesome. Okay, so I had a question uh, from something you said before. Does nutrition levels affect um, morning sickness? Like- could you have more morning sickness because of nutritional deficiencies? You definitely can. So there's, as with so many things in pregnancy, it is, it is multifaceted, the question mm -hmm. of morning sickness. There's good research around um, B6 status, vitamin B6 status and morning sickness. We, this is another reason we recommend supplementation before pregnancy ideally up to a year before you're ready to conceive. Although we know many pregnancies are unplanned. So starting on a, a comprehensive prenatal, as soon as you're able to, is a great way to, you know, not only ensure baby gets what 
he or she needs, but that you are optimally set up. Mm -hmm. um, so B6 is important. We dose B6 far, far higher than many prenatals. Many prenatals lack it entirely. Um, protein is another really key, not micronutrient, but macronutrient mm -hmm. that we stress heavily during pregnancy. Um, it is vitally important to consume enough protein to support blood sugar regulation and blood sugar dysregulation is a leading cause of nausea or morning mm, sickness. So protein, yeah, protein totally regulates it, it's, that. You know, the common recommendation is like to consume saltines or a plain bagel or um, typically a, you know, a sort of naked carbohydrate with no fats or protein accompanying it when you're in the throes of nausea. And that makes sense because that is often what your body um, is craving or, yeah. you know, that feels palatable. But if you're able to include protein with your meals, ideally with breakfast to help regulate your blood sugar, it really can make a big difference. Um, and so, you know, beyond prenatal, prenatal vitamins are really important. Uh, we spent a long time formulating ours, but there are other, other nutrients women need beyond vitamins and minerals. And that's why we designed what we call our complete plan. It's a four-part plan that includes a prenatal vitamin, an omega-3, a collagen protein. That is our recommended form of supplemental protein because it includes amino acids that are, are conditionally essential during pregnancy. Um, mm. Two of them are glycine and proline. That what it essentially means is your body can't produce them on their own during, during pregnancy. You need to consume them through food and you are likely to be deficient in glycine and proline unless you're consuming whole animal, like, you know, skin, yeah. tendons. We don't yeah. eat that way anymore. No, we don't. Most of uh -huh. us, if we consume animal proteins during pregnancy, it's eggs or it's, you know, boneless, skinless chicken breast. And that's not high in either of those amino acids. So, well, that was my also question. great to throw in your, like, if you're consuming, if you're able to consume oatmeal in the first trimester or mm -hmm coffee or tea, you know, orange juice, anything you can get down. Um, our collagen is really neutral tasting and it has a great consistency that blends in with so much. And you can safely consume multiple servings a day to meet your protein requirements. That's really, really cool. So that was my next question you kind of touched on. Do, do the nutritional needs of pregnant women change because of the hormones of pregnancy? You, so outside of pregnancy, can we, we can make glycine or we can absorb it better. And you're saying it's more, it's harder to make or yes. during pregnancy. So nutritional needs across the board tend to be higher during pregnancy. It's pregnancy and breast, I, I should say, Pregnancy and postpartum are the most nutritionally intensive times in a woman in a woman's life, and that is because of many things. Obviously, growing a baby in a placenta, um, your skin stretching, your blood volume almost doubling during pregnancy. Pregnancy is a natural state of blood sugar dysregulation, as we touched on. It's why so many women will experience gestational diabetes. Um, mm. There, there are hormonal and nutritional um, considerations that are so unique to pregnancy. And, you know, that's why it's just, if you're going to focus on optimizing your nutrition at any stage of life, this is the one. And, and mm -hmm. not only to ensure that you and your baby have a healthy pregnancy 
and an optimal chance of, you know, um, delivering a healthy baby and making it to full term, but also because the nutritional status of a baby in utero can impact their health for their entire life. And, mm. you know, if you're having, if you're having a baby girl, the follicles that will become, you know, future eggs and your future grandchildren are developing while in utero. It's, it's a pretty kind of beautiful, um, but nutritionally very intensive life stage. Very so expensive. So I once heard someone say, well, actually I haven't heard this just once, but that the baby will take what the baby needs and you are the one that suffers. And then because if you're nutritionally deficient, your baby will just parasite off you and get whatever it can to, and leave you. And then I've heard other people to say, nope, if your body will always protect it first and then your baby will end up. So what is it? Or is it a combination of both? I mean, so our, our, I would, I would answer that question in kind of two parts. So in the absence of extreme deficiency, your baby will generally take what it needs at your expense. expense. So, so yeah. that is right. Your baby is your kind body of a will parasite. Got it. Our bodies are <laughs> really, really, I would say really, really good or designed to protect the developing baby. Uh, it's why women are able to carry healthy babies even during a famine or really extreme um, mm -hmm. circumstances, but you know, there are some nutrients you really don't want to mess around with. You don't want to, you don't want to risk the chance that you might be deficient in folate, for example. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's not all about making sure mom's, uh, replenished baby, you know, you do take a supplement for baby, but I think it's a misunderstanding that a prenatal vitamin is only for baby because the, the, the vast majority of the time in a developed nation like the US, baby is gonna take what it needs for mom. And oftentimes without proper supplementation and really intentional um, nutrition, mom's levels will never reach their pre-pregnancy state. And that gets comp compounded through a subsequent pregnancy or breastfeeding. So an mm -hmm. example of omega-3, um, omega-3 status in mom, can forever be at a lower level than it was pre-pregnancy. And this can impact mom's literally the size of her brain because omega-3 <laughs> is a critical component. So the postpartum is stupid, it's real. <laughs> like, it can plus, be. I never felt like, like back to myself until I stopped nursing. But you're saying that like these changes could be permanent and who wants, I mean, okay. So then this probably affects- It can be and I think disorders. the- the, the, yes, it can absolutely impact mood disorders postpartum. I think the, the beautiful thing is that you can be impacted, you can be deplete, but you can also do something about that. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's yeah. really not too late, even if you're several years postpartum to, to, you know, nourish yourself back to an optimal state of health. Um, it's, you know, quite common postpartum to have, a, you know, to develop postpartum thyroiditis, you know, a thyroid condition, Hashimoto's is pretty common postpartum. Um, you know, there are, there are, there are longer term impacts of nutritional depletion that, um, can be prevented if you supplement and you continue to supplement and continue to nourish yourself after pregnancy, after baby's born through breastfeeding, even beyond breastfeeding, um, to ensure that you're, really fully nourished. 
Yeah. Very, very cool. Okay. So um, you talked about a little bit about this before. I want to go a little deeper about the um, bioavailable and the, the, that quality matters, not so much quantity. And I know when I was younger, so this is before that 10 year mark where you said things are getting better with prenatals, but my mom would be like, you want your pee to be orange because that means your body's like getting, you know, it's sloughing off the nutrients it doesn't need. And so that's good. And I'm like, or is it sloughing it off? Cause it's not bioavailable. So what, <laughs> you know, like how, <laughs> yeah, that's a really just- good question. So I would, I would answer this by saying like, it depends if you're taking emergency or, you know, a, um, a, supplement that has lower quality nutrient forms, you may be seeing yellow pee because your body's not absorbing those nutrients properly. But in the case of needed in our prenatal, we do frequently hear that um, women notice brighter urine, like a brighter yellow urine when they switch to our prenatal. And the primary reason for that is um, vitamin B2, which um, is often responsible for that yellow urine. And we always, for every single nutrient that we use, we use the form that's best absorbed by the body. So it's not a problem of, are you not absorbing the nutrient? It's really more about, we are dosing nutrients for an optimal state and your body is great at excreting, especially in the case of a B B vitamin that's water soluble. Your body's great at excreting the amount that you don't need on that particular day. So you know, the, the only way to ensure that you are getting enough is to dose at optimal levels. That might mean that on any given day, depending on what you ate for lunch or your body's getting rid nutritional of it. status, or so you really can't you overdose. Those, you really can't overdose on a water soluble vitamin. It takes more to overdose on a water soluble, like folate for, we talked about folate. That's a water soluble vitamin. You can't too much can have an impact, but it, it, it's generally, less of a concern than it would be with a fat soluble vitamin where your body accumulates it and stores that, um, vitamin in the body. But interestingly, it's, it's typically the fat soluble vitamins that women are very deficient in like vitamin B. That uh, was my next question. If if they accumulate in your body, then wouldn't you, wouldn't it be designed then you'd be less likely to be deficient in those because your body could hold on to them for a rainy day. But if you're not getting them in the first place, exactly. How does your body hold them on? That's the primary challenge is that um, I think in the case of vitamin A, there is a lot of fear around consuming too high of an amount of the active form of vitamin A because super high levels can be toxic, but that's led to an avoidance of the active form of vitamin A almost entirely. It's missing from almost every single prenatal vitamin on the market. And the most abundant form of vitamin active vitamin A in food is liver. Very few of us are consuming liver or (laughs) cod liver oil. Um, so it's, it's a nutrient to be aware of, but again, more is not more. It's really about the precise right amount. And that, um, amount falls within a band, you know, it's not like, oh, if you consumed, we, we dose our, um, active vitamin A at 750 micrograms a day, which is a small amount, but a meaningful amount. It's not to say if you consumed 800 that day or you, you know, you consumed needed and had liver once every two weeks that you're going to be too high in that nutrient. That won't happen. We always set our nutrient levels, taking into account some dietary consumption as well. 
But if you're consuming none and you're only consuming the inactive form of vitamin A found in carrots, you know, beta carotene, that's the form that you hear of um, or see most often on a prenatal. If you're only consuming that form, you might end up being deficient because your body has to go through a lot of hoops to convert that beta carotene into the active form of vitamin A that's so important for pregnancy. I'm so enjoying this nerding out because I have, <laughs> now I have so many questions like what's an inactive and an active form? Like I've never heard of that. So I'm resisting yeah, the urge to keep you online for three hours. <laughs> Not every nutrient has a, um, you know, in most, in most cases, there are multiple choices for every nutrient. And that's why it can be a three-year process to design a prenatal when you're trying to be really mindful of making sure you select the right form because um, some of those forms are easier to find. Some of them are less easy to find. Oftentimes, uh, the optimal form is the more expensive form. Um, so it is, it's an intricate process. I think mm -hmm. you can tell from this conversation that I love nerding out on this. And my co-founder who heads up our product formulation and works closely with our practitioner community loves it even yeah. more than yeah. I do. Um, but it, you know, I think in many ways, it's a labor of love to create this product and to really be striving for optimal. It's a lot easier to tell women just take one or two, you know, take a one a day. It's easier. It gives you everything you need or like only giving you what, you know, the, the minimums you need like that. That's a message that can resonate um, and be a lot easier to tell than this much more nuanced story of finding optimal nutrition. Well, it's not uh, but, that expensive. Like, okay, take three or four pills. That's not as fun and as convenient as a one a day, but you're looking at this baby's overall health. You're saying that the nutrition they receive in vitro is what's going to kind of set them on the trajectory for the rest of their life. It seems like everyone, like that we should be focusing on even like the low income and the impoverished it, women should, this should be number one. It really should be. And we, we hope to make headways in that, you know, where we have some research partnerships now that are really important to us partnering with researchers who are serving underserved communities, oftentimes, you know, black, brown communities, lower socioeconomic communities, those women are at a higher risk for mm -hmm. pregnancy complications. I think many of your listeners are probably aware of the the black maternal mortality, you mm -hmm. know, maternal and infant mortality crisis in the U.S. And yes. not to say that nutrition is the leading or the only component of it. It's it's far from it. There's so much that goes into that around, you know, provider empathy and you know consistency of care. But as we talked about earlier, around preterm labor or some of those complications like preeclampsia or gestational diabetes, if we can prevent some of those complications with nutrition, we should. And I think it's both an awareness and an advocacy and an education problem and, and an accessibility of the actual quality nutrition products. Itself. That was actually my next question. Then you're saying like the methylated, um, yeah, folic acid versus methyl folate, that it's 10 times more expensive. So I just want to know, like lift, lift back the hood a little bit. When you have a vitamin company, are you synthesizing any of these things in-house or are you sourcing them from, like, where do you get this stuff? Where do you get your ingredients? If I want to bake a cake, I go to Walmart and I get some yeah. flour and I just buy, bring the flour home, right? Yeah. Where so are there's you getting a couple your ways stuff? to do it. The easiest way is to go to one manufacturer who stocks the 
you know, here's our prenatal vitamin formula, um, or here's our, our off the shelf prenatal vitamin formula that you can make two tweaks to. That's the far easier way to do it. You can get a product out quickly. We've taken a different approach of going directly to the best ingredient supplier for every single ingredient that we're interested in and forming a relationship directly with that supplier to source the ingredients directly from them. That way we can choose and understand exactly what's in it. No shady additives, you know, testing every single nutrient when it comes into us to make sure that it meets our standards around nutritional content and heavy metals. It's a far more intensive, expensive, laborious process, but the end result is dramatically better. And that's our quality standard. And I think the, the opportunity and the challenge ahead of us as a, as a company is how do we take that process and also find a way to make our products accessible broadly at mm-hmm. a price point that's accessible to everyone. And we're, we're excited. I, I mentioned that prenatal multi-essentials. We're excited about that product because it is a more accessible price point than some of our, you know, than our more nutritionally complete prenatal multis, mm-hmm. but it still follows the same quality yeah. ingredient sourcing standards as everything that we put out. Um, and when we formed Needed, we formed as what's known as a um, public benefit company, which is mm-hmm. essentially baking into our corporate charter, a mission orientation and an yep. obligation to serve a public benefit beyond our own self-interest, beyond our profits. And yeah, I know I learned B Corp. We're really excited about, yep. about the social impact that we can have through our free education, through with time, making our products accessible so that every woman has that choice. And I, I mean, our sincere hope is that the, the more women are women and their care providers are educated around what should be in a quality product, the more pressure there will be on the huge giant supplement companies like, you know, Centrum or one a day, you know, these companies that are ubiquitous that with that consumer pressure, it's the same as in the, you know, household cleaning products or personal care space that progress is being made. It often has to start with consumers demanding it Mm -hmm. and that you know, the more people are aware of this, the more in demand these nutrient forms that are better used become, the cheaper they'll become because, you know, they'll, yeah. there'll be so much demand that supply has to meet it. That'll drive pricing down. And that's our sincere hope, even if it doesn't benefit needed, you know, to be the only prenatal vitamin that's dosing at the full RDA of choline. Like we don't care. We just want women to be able to access this and to be able to feel informed about what they need. I love it. Okay. So you said that prenatally, we should be taking uh, vitamins to get ready for conception and caring. Um, Postnatally, you're saying definitely during breastfeeding, we should be taking the prenatal still, right? Yes. What about just general? Like what about five years out? You've got a five-year-old. What type of vitamins, like, can we go back to the Centrum one a day? It seems kind of like a, not a great idea after you've been on (laughs) something like needed. So what do you do in those between when you're not, or in, in going into menopause, what do you? Yeah, have? great question. So we would recommend staying on a prenatal because the same, you know, the same kind of dynamics of our food quality isn't what it used to be. Our soil's depleted. That that doesn't stop at the end of your pregnancy. It's great to stay on something really comprehensive for about six months after you're done breastfeeding so that you make sure your body had time to catch up with those higher nutrient levels back to 
optimal ranges. Got it. Um, and then thereafter, a product like our Essentials Multi is a it's a great one to stay on long term forever because it's just little and you're. It's a little basic. bit less. It's less expensive. It's a little easier of a routine to stay on. Um, you know, our, our kind of internal name for that product is it's both our prenatal multi essentials and our mom's multi. It's really just a great product mom's multi, to, yeah. to stay on long-term through perimenopause, mm-hmm. menopause. I think with time as needed grows, we will also have products that individually meet those later life stages. Yeah, it makes but- sense. Cause it, it just feels like it's nutritionally expensive to be a woman, like period. Like, cause we have periods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, something we're super passionate about is that prenatal nutrition isn't just for women that, you know, men are half of the conception equation and um, it's really important for men to make sure that they're adequately nourished before pregnancy. And honestly, through like, through the intensity of the dad years um, and many families want to conceive multiple children. Some of us have experienced pregnancy loss and you sort of find yourself having to start back at square one and I'm personally really passionate about men understanding their, their role in the equation. And also that if you're going to take a prenatal vitamin, when you're trying to conceive or trying to get your sperm healthy, just keep taking it during pregnancy and postpartum. It's not that many years. And the kind of commitment of men in the pregnancy equation is it's physically a lot less intense than it is for women. So Mm -hmm. You never know when you're going to need those healthy sperm. And, um, and there's so many ancillary benefits too, like for both men and women, fertility is just an, it's, it's a manifestation of how healthy you are. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a kind of normal physiological response if you are optimally healthy. And there's so sense. many other things that we want dads and men to be healthy for, you know, longevity, for heart health, for brain health, for hair coverage, you know, so many (laughs) many things, like there's just so many benefits of men being optimally nourished too, that we first and foremost focus on women, but we're really excited to have recently launched our line for men too. That's so cool. Okay. So do you need a prescription for needed or can you just get it? Find it on our website. Yeah. We're available at thisisneeded.com. We also sell through Amazon and through uh, a practitioner dispensary called Fullscript that a lot of um, nutritionally trained practitioners like to utilize um, and, you know, hopefully available in retail down the road. But for now, we're, we're available primarily online. And can you get um, prescription that will cover like full insurance covered or, or you can use your if you have FSA or HSA dollars, you can use it towards the purchase of prenatal vitamins for individual products like our pre and probiotic or our collagen protein or prenatal iron. They should be covered by FSA HSA with sometimes you will need a note of medical necessity, which is essentially a note from your doctor midwife saying, you know, you need it. Prenatal protein needs or, you know, low, low iron need supplemental iron. Got it. It can be that simple and straightforward. We have a blog on our website that I can share with you in case you have show notes um, that explains all of those benefits. And um, hopefully, hopefully with time, you know, it will be available through insurance companies. Unfortunately, the prescription prenatals are probably among the worst options on the market. They're using mm-hmm. synthetic nutrients and even like red dyes and, you know, crazy fillers that are just so unnecessary. So 
I would recommend, um, I would recommend avoiding prescription prenatals, even though it's tempting because it's covered by insurance. They, yeah. they don't tend to be the best choices. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for nerding out with me. Thank you. I, man, I've learned so much. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, this is so fun. And um, I should mention too, we, we are very committed to free education. If you have questions about your prenatal vitamin, we've reviewed and compiled a, um, a really detailed um, overview of 75 of the leading prenatals on the market. We'll share that link um, with you all. It's available on our website. We also have a guide to what to look for in a prenatal as well um, that is more general um, than a specific brand. You know, a lot of what we talked about on this um, conversation, but in written form. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Please visit us at birthcircle.com, join our Facebook groups, or find us on Instagram and Pinterest. We hope you'll use our resources to support your birthing experience.